Amen. Thank you very much. Appreciate all the singing, preparing our hearts this morning. Take your Bibles with me, please. Go to John chapter 15. Just want to mention that I had so many helpful tidbits about what to do if I don't have notes. Um, you know, some, some said, you know, you should email them to yourself. I thought that was really good. Some said, you must be using Microsoft, so switch over to Google. Google Drive will work better, and uh, that's probably true. Um, probably the, the best one I had is, Pastor Steve, you can just print them off. And so uh, I do have them printed off this morning. Of course, everything's working right, and I don't know if we've installed a printer down here yet, but um, we may have to go to that too. But of course, thank you for bearing with me last week. I, I trust the Lord took and used his word in some way and fashion. And, uh, you know, as we went and we tried to unpack what it looks like, essentially, for Jesus to be abiding in us, the Godhead, to have a relationship with us, I thought, boy, you know, there's a lot that I should have said that I didn't say. And then I thought, well, even if I have my notes, that's always the case. So um, what is very interesting is now we move to chapter 15, and chapter 15 serves as a wonderful illustration to what it actually looks like for the disciples to be staring at Jesus who says that I am going to prepare a place for you. I will not be here any longer. However, you are able to have such a relationship with me that it is as real as me standing in front of you today. It's as real as you sitting before me today. And because Jesus knows that we need a lot of help understanding that, he gave us a wonderful illustration in chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you bear fruit in me, you are abiding you have life. You know, there's nothing more tragic than sitting in a funeral parlor. Everyone's facing the same way. And we're all looking at the very same thing, aren't we? A casket, usually open, with some dear soul that has passed away. And there's nothing more tragic, let me finish my sentence, there's, or my thought, there's nothing more tragic than, than a loved one standing before that assembly, or maybe even a priest or some other religious individual standing before that assembly and saying, I hope with some uncertainty that that person will be received to God. My friends, at that point, it is too late. At that point, death is the victor unless you have placed your faith in the one who defeated death himself, itself. And Jesus wants us to understand this morning that there is way more than just a hope of 
of uncertainty, not a biblical hope, but just I hope so, I think so, maybe if I say enough prayers, maybe it'll work out, maybe I will be attached to the vine. Jesus wants us to know, no, my friends. There is a way that you can abide in Jesus this very hour, knowing, knowing, knowing that you have a relationship with him. Because at that last time, when your heart ceases to beat, it's not then do I figure it out or let my family figure it out. Jesus wants you to know, while your heart beats, know that you have a relationship with him. And so that's where we find ourselves in John chapter 15. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ like I am standing before you today or you are sitting before me today? What does it mean to know Jesus? What does it mean to have a funeral where everyone rejoices? No matter the pain, no matter the suffering, no matter the hurt. What does it mean to know an abiding presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants you to truly know what it means to abide in him. And so we have four laws that I would look, like to look at in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8 this morning. Four laws. And really the first law is kind of an introduction to the, to the passage, to the illustration but nonetheless, it'll be helpful. So I hope it'll be helpful this morning. Four laws. First of all, we're going to look at the laws of illustration. We are embarking now on an illustration from Jesus, and he's trying to illustrate what it actually means to have a relationship with him. And this will be helpful, because some of us have questions. Do I really know Jesus? Do my friends really know Jesus? And so this will be helpful. So the laws of illustration. Then we'll have, in verses 1 through 3, and then we'll have the laws of fruitfulness, And that's in verses 4 and 5, the laws of fruitfulness. And then the laws of fruitlessness in verse 6. And then finally, the laws of faithfulness in verses 7 and 8. So the laws of illustration of fruitfulness, fruitlessness, and faithfulness. Okay, so that's what we're going to seek to look at this morning. As we ask the question, what does it mean to abide in Jesus Christ? So first of all, the laws of illustration. Let's look at chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 with, together. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the fine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And so first of all, we see, not necessarily from the text, but we want to, by way of introduction, understand that illustrations have limitations. Even when Jesus, our Savior, the perfect illustrator. The problem is not with the illustrator. 
The problem was with the illustration, right? There's limitations to the illustration. And so we must learn truths. We must be careful to learn truths from the illustrator and not from our own imaginations that tend to go further than the illustration. Have you ever played those, uh, those, those sight games? You know, one of the sight games that I, I love to, that just, when I fall for it, it just boggles my mind, but there's, there's, there's a way that you can arrange letters, and as you're reading through a word, they say, read this, read this sentence, and you read the sentence, and, and, and then they say, was there anything misspelled? And you say, no. No, of course not. And, they, and then they say, well, go back, and I want you to look at it backwards and look at each of the words. And you find smack dab in the middle of that sentence that there was just a, trans, a transposing of two letters. It's usually a sight word that you, you, you don't have to sound out anymore, right? <laughs> and it's usually a word that we just automatically always fill in as the right way to see it. Our brains long and love to fill things in, and what we don't want to do as good Bible expositors is we don't want to fill in more than the illustration fills in. And so we have to be careful with that. So we don't want to ascertain truths from silence or from implication. And for instance, we could look at verse 2 and we could say, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. And so some folks unfortunately look at that and they say, What about salvation? They say that you can lose your salvation. But what they fail to, number one, understand is the, the, the simplicity of this illustration is not about eternal security. There, there's implications there. But it's primarily not a doctrinal uh, treaty on whether or not you can lose your salvation. In verse 6, you can, you can see that. Because Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me. So his point isn't to be so clear and crisp about eternal security. His point is about something altogether differently, and that is the fact of you knowing that you do abide in him. And so illustrations have limits. Illustrations, also another law, typically, or can be a law, typically have a truth that bubbles up to the surface, and that's really what I was getting at, is we don't want to get into all these details about the illustration to miss the truth that Jesus is the vine. And that you need to bear fruit from him. Illustrations are also, they're given because they are well known and they communicate truth. Right? I mean, it would not be appropriate for you to go to Florida and, and, and to teach and, and to use an illustration about, you know, the, the rush of you going down the sledding hill with a, with a train of people before you, and someone sticks their feet down, and up comes all kinds of snow, and you just get whitewashed all over the place, and you get, <gasps> you can't even breathe because of the cold that hits your face. A Floridian has no idea what you are talking about. Just like they have no idea about the manic, depressive, gray skies of Cleveland. <laughs> they have no idea about that. And so illustrations fit within a context, a geographical context. And so we see that the concept of vines and vineyards is a well-known one. Just like in our area, it's a well-known one, well-known uh, reality. We have uh, Lake County used to be, I think, the nursery capital of the country at one point. There's still a great many nurseries around. 
And I'm not talking about baby nurseries. I'm talking about plants. Right? But the vine in the vineyard is a well-known one in the Palestine region. And so there are some fundamental truths that this illustration will communicate. Jesus is the vine. And he begins that way. And how does he begin? Every word matters. How does he begin? I am the true vine. So what is Jesus doing there? Now we don't have this from the context, but we have this understanding the geographical and historical realities of what it means to be a vine and to be a vineyard. You know, in the intertestamental period, a vine and vineyards were so ingrained into the, into the Jewish culture that, 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 that rebellious Jewish groups, right, because Jews did not have uh, did not have their own land, they did not have their own government, but certain groups tried to break off from the, the, the oppression of whatever, whatever uh, empire was, was over them at the time, and, and so they would try to forge their own money and their own coins, and, and so we have recovered certain coins forged in this intertestamental period by the Jews, by some of the Jewish sects. And you know what's on some of those coins? Vines and vineyards. It's a well-known symbol in Jewish typography. You don't, we don't have time this morning, but if you were to go back to Psalms, Psalms 80, you would see there that, that this is a well-known illustration of Israel being God's vine. You go to Isaiah chapter 5, where God says, I have made for you to be a choice Vine in my vineyard. I have hewn out for you all the stones in the field. I have gathered around you walls to protect you. I have given you choice and fertile ground. And there Isaiah says, the Lord says through Isaiah, you, though a choice vine, what? Are bearing no fruit. Though you should bear much fruit, you are wild in your, in your fruitfulness, bearing small little nothings. Jeremiah chapter 2 as well. And we could go on in the Old Testament where the, the historical realities of this illustration comes into play. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is really doing that in backdrop, not only of geography, not only of history, but also consider his audience. It's 11 men. Not 12, but 11. 11 men who are willing to follow Jesus against the religious system. 11, 11 men who are told that he is going to depart. Eleven men who saw one just go away and leave, who will in just a little while come back, bearing soldiers to arrest him. Eleven men who are shaking a little bit because Jesus says he's going to go. And because there's this great, big institution out there 
saying, if you want to get to God, you need to go this way. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the only way. He is the only truth. And so illustrations are helpful to communicate truth, certainly in their context of the hearer, but they're also helpful to illustrate and communicate roles. And look at what Jesus does. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And so let's just look at this role very briefly this morning. The role of the vine dresser, or we would call him probably the gardener, the one who goes in and out. And what does he do? Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Why? Because he's the gardener. He has the prerogative to do so. He actually has purpose in what he's looking to accomplish. Jesus goes on to say, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Why? Because the vine dresser, the gardener, has prerogative to do so. It's his garden. He has a purpose in what he's trying to accomplish. The vine dresser has a role. I want to ask you a question this morning. If, if everyone is in this illustration... And right now we have really four roles. We have Jesus as the true vine. We have the Father as the vine dresser. And then we have two types of branches. Is anyone outside of God's prerogative and purpose as the gardener? You have either branches that refuse to bear fruit because they cannot bear fruit. And you have branches that what? Must bear fruit. Why? Because they are in the true vine. So no one's outside of the sovereign workings of the Father. That is squarely true in this illustration. And, and here again, we can just go a little bit deeper into this, this question of whether or not Jesus is talking about salvation here and, and losing salvation in verse 2 when he says every branch in me that does not bear fruit right so some commentators say okay well if they were in Jesus Christ and they're not what is that and really what we what we actually see by contrast is this we don't see a theological implication that I can lose my salvation we actually see a theological reality that God as the vine dresser follow me God is the vine dresser can look past the superficial realities of anyone and he knows the status the status of you in or not in the Lord Jesus Christ because we do see the follow up in verse 6 if anyone does not abide in me in other words once we get past the superficial realities once we get past the appearance of things <laughs> and so you know sometimes we wonder right is I have family members that were baptized with me when I got, I got saved, right? And then I was baptized, like most of you. 
And I have family members that have professed Christ, too, were baptized with me. And yet they no longer attend this church, nor any gospel-preaching church. So what is that? Were they in Jesus Christ and now they're not? No, my friends, what Jesus is getting across here for us this morning is that those of you who bear fruit are in the vine, and those of you who do not bear fruit are not in the vine because you cannot. And the vine dresser knows the status even when we do not. That's what verse 6 is saying. If anyone does not abide in me, he, who's that he there? He is thrown away as a branch. Well, it's the branch being thrown away, and that's passive. So the branch isn't doing the action. That means someone else is doing the action. And who's doing that action? In this illustration, who's doing that action? You go back to verse 1. The Father is the vine dresser. The Father, in verse 2, takes away every branch that does not bear fruit. The Father prunes every branch that does bear fruit. That's the role of the vine dresser. That's the role of the Father in this illustration. And so the Father, my friends, knows your heart better than anybody else. And some of you may be sitting here and you may be in a Christian home and you may be going to a Christian school and you may have a lot of Christian as adjectives all over the place, but the fact, the question is, is Christian not an adjective of your life? Is it your life? And the Father knows. And the Father knows. Because he can assess. So he purges all branches that do not bear fruit fruit because they are not in Jesus. But he also prunes. And there's a necessity here of pruning. What's the necessity in the illustration? Pruning can be painful, right? As God is pruning your life. But what's the necessity? What's the purpose behind the vine dresser, my friends? What is it? Bear more fruit. See, God wants you to be in the vine in such a way that you aren't just there and you aren't just coasting. God wants you to be in the vine in such a way to know that you are in Jesus in such a way that your life is overflowing with the fruit produced by being in him. So do you have fruit from the vine? And are you increasingly bearing fruit? You know, this is a hard one. Because if you go back into your life and you think how God tends to prune your life, sometimes he takes things out of it. Sometimes you're glad he takes certain things out of your life when he prunes it. Sometimes you're, you're mad. Sometimes he puts things into your life. Sometimes you're glad for that. Sometimes you're overwhelmed and distraught when a diagnosis comes up. And we have dear brothers and sisters here this morning that have pruning going on in their life. I was sitting with dear brother Jask, uh, Jasko and and actually over the phone with him and, 
And he was just recounting to me that he is ready, even though he has been diagnosed with stage four cancer. I was sitting across, my wife and I were sitting across from a dear couple in our house this past week, and they were just recounting from years ago how God just used pruning, painful pruning in their life, and continues to use painful pruning in their life, so much so that they are giving tear after tear recounting the pruning in God's life, but they end their sentence saying, but he is good, and I will follow him. Why? Because they are in the vine and they are bearing more fruit. And so this is a reality that God has a prerogative as the vine dresser and he has a purpose and the purpose is to bear much fruit. And so that's the law of illustration. Let's move on to the law of fruitfulness in verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, he says again. You are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the first law of fruitfulness that I'd like us to see, this may be a little counterintuitive, but it's here in the grammar of the text, is you must work to be fruitful. You must work to be fruitful. You say, well, Pastor Steve, what do you mean by that? Please. Am I saying that you must earn your salvation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Let's go back up to verse 3. In verse 3, we're told that you are already clean. And by the way, that word clean is the same Greek word as prune in verse 2. Okay? So there's a tight parallel there. And Jesus says, you are already clean... The choir, Ben, kind of gave us a little primer of that this morning. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. In other words, faith comes by hearing, the epistles would say, Pauline, Paul would tell us in Romans, faith comes through hearing, and hearing what? By the word of God. And so it's not a matter of Jesus saying, okay, you need to abide in me. That's the, that's the imperative there. That's something that has to, that, that's something that's commanded for Steve Sindelar and the rest of us who are in the vine to do. The reality is, is God places us in the vineyard, attached to the vine, through the word of God, by the spirit, giving us new birth. That's not something that any one of us could ever do because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But it doesn't negate the responsibility that you have as a Christian, as an imperative, as a command to obey, to abide in Jesus. And that's really what we see here in verse 4. We see the reality that we are commanded to be fruitful. We are commanded to be fruitful. 
So what does this mean? What do I mean by that? My friends, let me illustrate it this way. You may pick up a book from Barnes and Noble, or you may rent one from the library, and you may, or you may have even been referred by a friend to a particular book, and you start reading it, and you realize, my goodness, there's a bunch of trash in here. Jesus isn't reading the book. You are. Jesus doesn't have to put that book down or put it in the trash or do it, burn it or do whatever it is. You do. You may be sitting on the couch and you may have the fire TV remote and you may be going to a show and thinking, oh, it's only PG, it's no big deal. Only to be watching it and every other word is a word that you ought not hear and there are things going on on the screen that you ought not see. Jesus doesn't have the remote. Who does? You do. You need to abide in him. Now, those are kind of superficial. There's a lot more that we could go into, but at least that illustrates the point that you and I, we have a responsibility to abide in the vine according to the word of God. We have a responsibility. So we must work to be fruitful. But lest we stop there, another law of fruitfulness, and and, 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 In other words, fruitfulness is not autopilot. Fruitfulness is not cruise control. Fruitfulness is not, uh, what is it, Google trying to develop these autonomous uh, 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 cars. That is not the Christian life. That is not abiding. But just as much as it is a law for you and for me to have effort and to read God's word and to know God's word and to obey God's word, just as much as that is a law of fruitfulness, so is this law, that those who are in Jesus Christ will bear fruit. That's another law here that we see of fruitfulness. Those who are in Jesus Christ will bear fruit. God is the one who prunes. He is the one who produces the fruit, ultimately. But the whole goal of the Godhead is for you to produce as much fruit as possible. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you say, yes, I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I go to church. Yes, I do all these things. Yes, yes, yes. But you look at the sum of your life. And there's really nothing there produced by the Father through the Spirit according to the Word of God. My friends, you need to ask yourself, do you believe in the law of fruitfulness today that those who are in Jesus Christ must bear fruit? They must. It's not an option. It is a conviction of your life that I will look more like Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. It doesn't mean that we don't fall or that we don't fail. My my friends, the whole process of church discipline in the scriptures is to arrest the attention of a brother or sister and to say, you're not bearing fruit. You're going the way of fruitlessness. Stop and repent and go to the word of God. And so we we ought to, we ought to have, uh, to be able to account in our lives failure. We're sinful human beings but we're saved by the blood of the Lamb. And that, my friends, is all the difference that allows you to bear fruit. And not just allows, but if you're in Jesus Christ, you what? You must. That's the point. Now, some of us, we bear fruit at different paces, 
Some of us, God has allowed us to bear an abundance of fruit. And others, we're a little slower. Don't you go comparing yourself to brother or sister Sally or Joe in the room this morning. Don't you go doing that. You just ask yourself the question, according to the scriptures, am I bearing fruit? And oh God, help me to bear, bear more. Help me to live a life that is more faithful and more like your dear son. So might this be a good time then to ask what are the fruit? Well, Jesus doesn't define that here. Except for this big category of my what? He's been doing this the whole gospel. John has been bringing this up. My words. Live my words. That's a lot. Let me give you a couple categories to think through. This isn't exhaustive, but this is maybe a way that you can ask the question this morning, am I bearing fruit? And you know, one of them is actually directly in this passage. Uh, verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Okay? We got that? Then he says this. Here's a fruit. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So one of the categories that we can actually go to, and we'll explain that a little bit later, because that's in context. But one of the categories that we can actually go to this morning is if I'm abiding in Jesus Christ, one of the fruit that my life is going to bear is answered prayer. You say, Pastor Steve, I'm pretty good, but not always. Yeah, me too. And we're going we're gonna to look at in a second why that probably is. But are you praying? You can't bear fruit in answered prayer if you're not praying. Right? Start praying, dear brother or sister who is attached to the vine, and let God show and bear fruit in your life through answered prayer. Another category is the fruits of repentance and sanctification. There's all kinds of uh, realities of that um, in the scriptures. Another fruit that I want us to think about is evangelistic fruit. Right? Go and make disciples. Go baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Spirit. Go. Do you have fruits of repentance in your life? Do you, have, do you have fruits of evangelistic? Pastor Steve, I've never seen anyone come to, to saving faith. Well, it's okay. Your life's not over yet. But you can't bear fruit evangelistically, and we know who's in charge of that fruit. The Father is. But you can't bear fruit evangelistically if your lips and your feet aren't actually proclaiming it. I'm saying that to myself this morning. But fruit of evangelism. Of course, you've been going to this one, haven't you? Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. And, and uh, you get married, you start to realize just how much more you need to bear the fruit. Not because Charla was sinful, it's because this, old, this Steve was sinful. And then fruit of good works. So those are some five categories there. There's probably more, but uh, those are some fruits. So we have the law of fruitfulness. Okay? Now we have the law of fruitlessness. All right? Fruitlessness. And the first 
fruitlessness is those who are not in Jesus Christ are fruitless. That's the law. You cannot be fruitless and be in Jesus Christ. You cannot be fruitless and be in Jesus Christ. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire. They are burned. Fruitless, a branch that dries up. Fruitless, a branch that is not serving the purpose, bearing fruit. They have no use. Our text says that they're gathered up. They're cast into a fire because they have no purpose. When Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, they are fruitless, we ought to want to know exactly then what it means to abide in Jesus, right? We've already teased this out a little bit, but I want to make it abundantly clear now. First of all, according to the grammar this, in this text, abide is a present reality. In other words, it is not about some decision that I made 20 years ago. Listen, I'm not, I'm not putting aside the moment in time that you asked Jesus to be your Savior and repented of your sins. But there are a lot of people can, that, that can say those words, but today they are not living them. That's my point. And so what it means to abide in Jesus is a present reality. It's not a past one. It's not a familial one. It's not based on name. It's not based on heritage. It's based on are you Fill in your name, abiding in Jesus Christ. Today, today, abiding is a certain reality. And what I mean by that is it's not a mystical one, right? It's not such a hard concept that I don't understand what it is when Jesus says, I am the true vine, you are the branches, abide in me. I heard one preacher say once that abiding in Jesus is spelled this way. O B E Y. Obey. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you obeying Jesus? It's not mystical. It's not hard to get your mind wrapped around. And it is a specific reality. Jesus says, don't abide in truth out there, somewhere, whatever it is. Don't abide in your truth a little bit, in my truth. Don't abide with one foot here and one foot over there. 
Abide in me, Jesus says. It's specific. It's exclusive. It's where we get the solas of our faith, right? Faith alone, grace alone, the scriptures alone, right? All these alones because it's in what? Christ alone. And so those who are not in Jesus Christ are fruitless. And uh, that's one of the laws of fruitlessness. Another law that we see is that God removes the fruitless. It's not up to them. It's not up to the church. But God himself does it, which means what, folks? Beloved, it will happen. You understand that? There is no one that can thwart the purposes of God. And isn't that good? But in this case, if you are not in the vine, the purposes of God is to do something rather specific and from, and from an eternal perspective, rather horrific. Because what does the vine dresser do? He gathers those branches that dry up, that are not in the vine, that are fruitless, piles them up, He casts them, the scriptures say, Jesus says, and then what happens? He burns them. And that kind of elicits some theological realities for us, doesn't it? About the eternal state of those who are outside of Jesus Christ. And it probably should here. You know, I had a a big old birch tree. It's the biggest birch tree I've ever seen. Okay, and I, I looked around a lot when I had this tree. We had a tree in the front yard of our house. It was like two feet from my bedroom window, and so I was kind of obsessed about this tree a little bit. And I'm like, I, why, number one, did they put it so close to the house? And number two, why don't I ever see a birch tree that big? And this tree would, without fail, always lose dead branches after the littlest of storms, let alone the biggest of storms. Without fail, the next day I would have to be going and bringing a wheelbarrow through the yard and picking up all these dead branches. Didn't keep them in my yard. Didn't want my lawnmower running over them and having the, the, the blade of the lawnmower get dulled. They served no purpose for me. Oftentimes, I did put them in a pile and light them on fire. Sometimes, I just threw them in the woods. Depends on how adventurous I was that day, I suppose. But the point here is the dried up wither branches, they are cast into the fire by the Lord himself because they serve ultimately no purpose for him. And so if you think that it's self-centered and, and, and whatever for God to do that, just remember this, that God is the vine dresser. That is his role. And God longs and looks for his children to bear fruit. And he will likewise remove those branches that do not bear fruit. And why? Why is that? Why do people leave this church? And can I tell you something? I was just at a pastor's conference on Thursday. 
And I was encouraged to hear that actually the bigger your church gets, the more people leave the church. Why? Why? Because there's more people. And you know what? Along the way, they, they get removed. Along the way, they dry up because they never were in Jesus Christ and they depart. Now, certainly people can leave this church and go to another gospel-preaching church. I'm not talking about those folks. Certain people can move from here to over somewhere else and, 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 and be part of the church universal. But my, fo- my, my, my beloved, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is this, is that God is serving his purposes. Do not get discouraged by them. Do not be overwhelmed. But take hold of the truth that you are in the vine. And he is in you. There's an interconnection there. And so God himself removes the fruitless. And so lastly, the law of faithfulness. And we'll close. Verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So the laws of faithfulness. First of all, the, those who abide in Jesus are faithful to his word. I think we've kind of seen that played out all the way through, but I just want to mention it. Those who abide in Jesus are faithful to his word. How do I spell abide? O-B-E-Y. Secondly, those who abide in Jesus pray according to his word because they are in his word. That's too much for you to say. Those who abide in Jesus pray according to his word. That's really what Jesus is saying in verses 7 and then 8. You could cross-reference there verse, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, when Jesus first kind of says this. Remember that? He says, whatever you ask in my name, and then he says it again, whatever you ask in my name in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, that I will do. And what's the point? By the way, the glory of God is coupled there just like it's coupled here, according to prayer. And what's the point of asking in Jesus' name? What's the point of praying according to the word? Right? I'm not praying for things that are contrary to God's word, number one. And number two, my praying should be more and more about the mind of God himself doesn't mean that I can't cast my cares to Jesus. Of course we can. He wants to know our hearts. He already knows our hearts. The Spirit groans in ways that we can't even articulate. But my friends, what Jesus is saying is that when you pray according to the will of God, through the Word of God, you will see your prayers answered, period. Period. So that may or may not mean that so-and-so will get healed of a disease. Because in Scripture, we never hear or see outside of Jesus doing that and his own authority, that as a truth and a promise until we no longer have tears and we see God face to face. 
You You may never get financial deliverance. Jesus was poor. He had nowhere to lay his head. Yes, the father who cares for the sparrow loves you and will provide for you, but that doesn't mean that your bank account's going to have money in it. Right? So there's some American sensibilities of what what it means to be blessed that we just need to kind of get right with the Word of God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for the provision of the Lord and and, and, and for bank accounts and, and, and for all these things. And, and, and so anything that we have, we just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing. But if I don't have what brother so-and-so has, and I want what brother so-and-so has, that's a problem. That's a problem. Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying those who abide in me pray according to my word. The third law is those who belong to Jesus are gathered with those who are faithful to his word. We could really tease this one out, but because of time, we won't too much. But I want to make a couple observations. Jesus says to those who bear fruit that they will prove that they are his disciples. You see that there in verse 8? Right? So, what, what, how does this fall into the illustration? Well, if the father is the one vine dressing, if he's the gardener, if he is gathering the branches that do not abide, what's the reality of the rest of the branches? Those are the, those are the branches that are attached to the vine. And so I do think it's rather important for us to understand that there are some ecclesiastical considerations. In other words, there's a reality of the gathered of God's people, this church, and all the churches that preach and live according to his name. So what do I mean by that? Well, in reality, we're going to be pruned. We're going to We're going to be here to support each other during that painful pruning process. We need each other to encourage one another, to stir up one another, to love and to good deeds. And brothers and sisters, we also need each other to say, stop that. Don't think that. Don't go down that path. Come back to the Word of God here, Joe. Come back with your thoughts, Susie. To whom are we proving that we are Jesus' disciples? That's really what I want to ask the question to us this morning. Because the text says, and you will prove that you are my disciples. Do we have to prove to the vine dresser that we are true disciples? No, I don't think so. We already saw that the vine dresser can super uh, look care, looks right, cuts through right through the superficial realities of someone's fruit or not, not fruit. We know that God chose us 
before the foundations of the world. So there's a lot of other texts that we can bring into the fact that God knows, right? God knows. So we don't have to prove to God that we're of the in the vine. And we don't have to prove to the world that. And here's why I think that. I'm doing a little systematic theology here, but the reality is, okay, is the world will not receive whose words? Jesus says it. It's in, it's in the greater context of the upper room discourse. The world will not receive his words. So you think they're going to recognize and or care about what you prove according to your life, living his word out day by day? They don't care. They just think it's silly. Paul says they think it's foolishness. So then who do we prove? Well, it could be prove to myself. That's a, that's a possibility. But I think it really does have our church family in mind. That you and I are, ought to live in such a way that you can see fruit being born out in my life by the Spirit of God. And I can see fruit being born out in your life by the Spirit of God. Not in a judgmental way, not in a, not in a critical way, but in a way that celebrates what God is doing calling together from every tribe and tongue and nation those who will claim Jesus because the world won't. My friends, this morning, this is a miracle. We are gathered here taking time out of the Gentile day worshiping the God of heaven. It is a miracle. Do you believe that? What God has done in this place alone, let alone down the street, let alone up the street, let alone throughout this nation in the world, that people come and they worship the God of heaven because of who Jesus Christ is. And they love him. And they long to be like him. And they look forward to being with him someday. And so baptism is a public reality of that. So don't ever, ever just think, oh, there's a baptism, and she's going to make the service go longer. No, I make the service go longer. <laughs> that is God doing an amazing work, bringing another one in through public proclamation of what God has already done in their heart. That's why, friends, hear me this morning. If you abide in Jesus, you will eventually find your way to church membership. I believe that with all of my heart. Because church membership is all about what I'm now talking about. You having the right to speak into my life, committing. Some churches have a covenant, committing to, committing to the, the very realities of speaking into my life that I need to bear more fruit sometimes. Again, not in a judgmental way, not in a critical way, but in a way in Galatians chapter 6 where a brother who's caught in a fault, you restore him, what? Gently. Because before we do that, 1 Corinthians 13, love covers a whole lot. And you have, you, my dear folks, have covered a whole lot in my foibles and in my failures through love. 
And so membership is that formal commitment. And this gives us as a church a, a sobering reality to stir up one another and to sometimes call our, our, our brothers and sisters on the table and say, you are not bearing fruit. Stop. Stop doing that and start bearing fruit because you are in the vine. My friends, that is the corporate reality of what Jesus is saying here. And we'll look forward to seeing that more and more played out. So four laws. One of them is kind of introductory, the laws of illustration, the laws of fruitfulness, the laws of fruitlessness, and the laws of faithfulness. Father, we're thankful for the time together in the Word this morning. I'm very thankful for um, just the, the graciousness of these going a little bit past this morning. And Lord, we pray. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us, those of us who are abiding in Jesus, that you would help us to be confident in the reality that you long, you're working in our hearts to make us more and more fruitful. And oh, Father, if there's one here this morning that does not abide in Jesus, Oh, we pray that the Word of God through the Spirit of God this morning would shake loose any vestiges of what they think they're bearing of fruit. Father, that you would show them that those are superficial. Those are done in their own effort, and they cannot do it in their own effort because they first must abide in the vine, the true vine, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would Use your word this morning to break the hard heart and to soften the callous one. That you would help us to be faithful in this church, to stir up one another as we prove to each other and encourage one another that we are your disciples, no matter no matter the storm outside, we are at rest and have peace in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name.